continuing our series we started uh, a couple weeks ago called Bah Humbug, and uh, this is just a series that kind of unpacks uh, the story of Scrooge. You know, in our culture, in the Western world, most of us know the story, if not all of us. Some of us have read the Charles Dickens classic. Most of us have seen a movie or a play uh, about this story. But what we realized is in 31 years that we've done the Scrooge outreach, we've never really dug into the deeper meaning of the play or the story. And so that's what we decided to do this year is to dig into the deeper meaning because the deeper meaning of this story really is the deeper meaning of Christmas. Uh, Scrooge had a, had a dark, cold heart of concrete. He was the original Grinch. And I just want to read an excerpt from Charles Dickens' book to, to show you the description that he gives to this character. He said, The cold within him froze his features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, made his eyes red, and his thin lips blue. No one ever stopped him on the street to say, My dear Scrooge, how are you? When will you come and visit with me? No beggars begged from him. No children asked him what time it was. No man or woman ever asked him for directions to one place or another or tipped their hats to him in greeting. Even blind men's dogs would tug their owners into hidden doorways and alleys to escape him wherever he walked down the sidewalk. Boy, that is a morbid picture of a human being, isn't it? But it does, it does beg a question. And it's the question that we've all asked ourselves, either when we saw darkness inside of us, or we've seen darkness inside of someone else. How did he get that way? What happened to him? A person doesn't just start life like that. And I've learned something about people. People usually have a good reason for the things they do. Now, I'm not saying people usually do good things or usually do the best things. I am saying if you had been through what they had been through, you could see how they would do what they're doing. But without putting yourself in their shoes... Maybe what people do sometimes seems dangerous or bizarre or self-destructive, but had you walked in their, in their pattern, if you walked the way they walked, maybe you would see how they arrived there. Nobody intends to become calloused. Nobody starts life saying, oh, I hope I become a cynic. No, nobody, nobody builds walls or intends to build walls early in life. People don't start out wanting to control everything. It's just somewhere along the way they've been tragically wounded and now they're trying to protect themselves from ever it happening again. I I remember in the 90s uh, when Promise Keepers, how many of you remember Promise Keepers? Remember Promise Keepers? Promise Keepers decided they were going to have a pastor's conference, a clergy conference in Atlanta. And I was fortunate enough to be uh, on one of the groups that went. And there were 45,000 pastors from all over America that went to Atlanta to the Georgia Dome to be part of this clergy conference. And we got there, and man, it was, it was incredible. And uh, I had, a, I had a, a buddy with me, a few friends with me, but one, one of the guys that was with me was named Kenny. Kenny was this big, gigantic guy that looked like he played, you know, outside linebacker for, in the NFL. He had no neck. You know, he just, he just, 
He was big and round and loud and funny and happy all the time. And, you know, here we came in, big old Kenny was walking with us. I thought, I'm, I mean, I think going to a pastor's conference, I'll be all right. But if we do have any trouble, right, I got Kenny. So we're outside, and, uh, and all of a sudden we run into this group of uh, picketers. And you think, who would, who would picket, like, at a, who would protest a pastor's conference, you know? Are these... Are these Satanists? Are these atheists? No, 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 no. No, these are Christians. These are people who are going to heaven, or at least think they are. I don't know. One of the two. And they've got these signs, and they're picketing, you know, all of this, all this bad. I thought, finally, we get all the pastors in America to agree on one thing, one thing. And that's not good enough. We're going to protest it. So they're protesting, and, and they're protesting, you know, Billy Graham's a fraud, and, you know, uh, the, the, we're cheapening the gospel and all this stuff. And this guy engages us in a conversation. And, uh, and all I remember in that moment is he's just spouting all this stuff, how everything's wrong, and the church is bad, and pastors are bad, and the gospel, we're watering it all down and compromising and all this stuff. And I remember my big old buddy Kenny, big jolly, happy Kenny, just kind of leans in and looks at it. And I thought, you know, we got Kenny. We'll be all right. Kenny leans in here, looks at him. He said, hey, man, who hurt you? I didn't see that coming. But when he said it, there was something that rang true about it in my heart. Hey, man, who hurt you? Like, I'm not here to debate. I'm not here to argue. You might even have some good points. But he kind of got up underneath the guy's skin and said, you know, what's this really about? Like, what, like what's going on behind here? Isn't that the big question for Scrooge? Man, who, who hurt you? Who did this to you? It, Scrooge's life, it was a series of tragic circumstances in the past that created this miserable old miser that we meet in the present. It doesn't seem possible that our past would have the power to hijack our future, but it does. And I've seen it over and over and over and over. You probably don't know the whole story. According to the original story of Scrooge, Scrooge was a neglected child who was sent to boarding school far away from his family. His father was abusive. And so in some ways, this was a good thing that he got to be away. He spent every Christmas alone. He had very little to eat. And his younger sister came to school to talk Scrooge into coming back home because his dad had committed to change his abusive ways. Well, so Scrooge bought it. He came back home. But the whole thing falls apart when his sister unexpectedly dies. And it's just a heartbreaking story. And Scrooge becomes bitter about his childhood. He's bitter about his loss. He's bitter about not having a family. He's bitter about an abusive father. He's bitter about not having enough to eat. He's bitter about uh, 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 poverty. And he's driven to succeed and never need anything from anyone again, especially his own father. You can see how he might get here. And he's so driven that even his fiancée, Belle, breaks their engagement. She gave him a choice. You either, need to serve, you either need to love me or you need to love money. And Scrooge couldn't let go. Years later, he hated himself for it. But he chose money. A recent study called the Fetzer Report showed that in America, over 65% of Americans, listen to this, felt the need 
to forgive people who've wronged them or offended them. 65% felt the need, but listen to this. But the statistics said that 40% felt that forgiveness could not be applied to themselves. In other words, had a greater ability to forgive others than a willingness to forgive themselves. And, and when asked why, why is that so? Here's the reason. I don't think God can forgive me for what I've done. That was Scrooge's problem. He could neither give or receive forgiveness. Uh, how many of you, um, when you were when you were a child, you remember thinking there were monsters under your bed? Anybody? Come on, come on. Anybody? Come on, raise it up real high. You got little monsters under your bed. Remember that? Or you'd look over at that pile of dirty clothes that your mom told you to get up, and you go, "Man, I wish I'd have put that up because that looks just like a little monster over there." You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Or you hear the door creak and the claws that are, you know, you're just convinced that there's a little monster hiding under your bed. And as soon as your mom turns your light out and walks out of the room, that thing's going to come out from under the bed and jump on you. Probably because you watched, you know, a crazy movie or something and now Jurassic Park or the dinosaurs are coming. The velociraptors are in the closet. You know, something's coming. We laugh at it now, but at the time, didn't it feel real? Like, no, no, it was, it was life or death. And, and, and we realize now that we're adults that all that's just fantasy and it's not real and it's, it's really not true. But you know there are these little lies that we believe in adulthood that trap us. Things like, it was all your fault. Or, what you did was so bad you can never be forgiven. Or what was done to you was so bad, the only way to fix it is to never, never, never forgive that person as long as you live. Hold on to it. That will fix it. And I want to read to you this morning what God says about all of this. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, the Good News Bible says, The Lord says, now let's settle the matter. I love that phrase. Let's settle it. Let's just don't let this play like a broken record over and over and over and over. Let's get this thing settled once and for all. You are stained red with sin, but I will wash you as clean as snow. Although your stains are deep red, you will be as white as wool. There is no reason why wounds or sins have to be permanent. Because God specifically said they don't have to be forever. You can be forgiven and God can give you the strength to forgive the people who hurt you. So this morning I want to give you um, three ineffective ways that you and I attempt to deal with our past. And look, that's really what Scrooge's problem was. He He couldn't deal with his past. Wouldn't deal with his past. And you know what? The longer I am in ministry and the longer that I live, the more that I realize our past has a lot more influence over our present and our future and the present condition of our soul than most people realize. I I am shocked the older I get at how unaware I have been of how my past informed my present and future and how other people's do and how unaware we are that they're connected. So this morning, let me give you three ways that we ineffectively deal with our past. And I promise you, 
if you do one of these, it will get worse. So number one, if you're taking notes, bury it. Shove it under a rug. How many of you know when you shove things under a rug, it creates lumps? <laughs> and somebody's eventually going to trip. We shove it under the rug and we don't deal with it and we're trying to forget it and we just keep stuffing it down deeper and deeper. But Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. It's so easy to just cover it up and not deal with it. But let me tell you something that I've learned that you will hear in movies and on television and in stories that is not true. It's a cliche almost in our culture. Time heals all wounds. Malarkey. Time does not heal wounds. Let me tell you what time does. Time allows your past to set deeper roots. Time gives your past increased power if it's undealt with. So I, I was thinking, what are the ways... What does it look like to bury your past? Like how, how do we try to do it and how would we know we're doing it? Here's some ways I, I, I think. Never talk about it. Oh, oh, don't bring that up. Dad doesn't talk about that. Remember what mom said? Don't ever bring that subject up. We don't discuss that in this house. Never talk about it. That could be a sign that we're trying to bury something. M move far away. You see those people that try to go to the other side of the world, you know? Geographically, I'm going to change my surroundings. I'm going to change my, you know, my context. And maybe if I can just go live somewhere else with other people uh, who, who aren't my family or aren't wherever this happened, if I can just get far enough away, maybe that'll change it. And here's what nobody will tell you. What you do when you do that is you pack it up in the suitcase and you take it with you. And if you don't reopen that suitcase, it will blow up on you. So I think that's one of the ways it looks. Another way, we just pretend it never happened. We live in denial. Oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine, fine, fine. Sure, I'm fine. Nothing, nothing, nothing happened. What could happen? Nothing went wrong. No, it wasn't that bad. I mean, sure, it happened, but I mean, it wasn't, you know, all, people deal with that kind of stuff all the time. It's not that big a deal. It, we're, trying to, we're trying to bury it. Or people cover it up with an addiction or with pleasure, overeating, addiction to prescription medication, addiction to you know, whatever, tobacco, drugs, alcohol, whatever. Just try, craving, uh, um, craving enough pleasure to try to offset the pain, to tip the scales of pain that are aching the soul. And what we do when we do that is we create more pain in our soul. Maybe not immediately. There may be an interruption in the pain, but ultimately the pain gets worse. Another thing we do, I think, is we go as far in the opposite direction as possible. And I don't mean geographically. I just mean we say, whatever that was, I'm going to go as far away from I'm going to become the, the most opposite person I can think of from what that was. That's what I'm going to try to become to resolve this. That's what Scrooge actually did. He said, I will never be poor again. 
and I will never depend on another person again. Therefore, another person could never disappoint me again. I will fix this. I will, I will shift to the opposite side. And why do we do that? That's as far the other way as he could go. Not only did it not work, it made everything worse. What about you this morning? Do you have a never again? Is there something inside your soul, something so painful that you've said, I will go, I will die before I'll become this kind of person? I've committed my whole life to the opposite of that. If you have one of those nevers in your life, probably what's behind it and buried underneath it is some unresolved past pain that, that, is, that is unsolvable by just pushing it down further. I, I, I want to share a, um, an example with you, okay? This is, uh, this is sensitive and, and a little painful but it's, it, it's so clear. Uh, years ago, I was reading a book called Personality Plus by Florence Littower. It's a wonderful book. And it talks about in the book um, how, how when we endure trauma and pain, we shift into other personality types to try to cope. So let, let me give you the example that she used that was so, so clear. Um, there, is, there is a higher uh, percentage of abuse rate among, among girls who are, who are sanguine or um, extroverted, silly heart, outgoing. The, uh, that personality type they found through study has a higher uh, uh, incident of abuse rate than other personality types because they tend to, to gather the wrong kind of attention. So here's what happens though. When, this, when a free-hearted, sanguine girl gets abused, she wrongly believes that it's her fault. And that she somehow deserves what happened to her. So what she does to fix it is she goes as far the opposite direction as she can go. because uh, So she becomes a perfectionist. This was this creative warm, extroverted, silly heart who now has shifted to the other side and becomes a perfectionist believing if she can just do everything perfect she will go unnoticed and she'll never become a victim again. Most of this is completely subconscious. Now she lives a conflicted life inside a personality that is not really hers. But she lives it because she's trying to resolve something from her past that's unresolvable. And a lot of perfectionistic moms and wives are actually other personality types that were abused somewhere and are now trying to fix it by becoming perfect. So it's a drivenness toward perfection. Now she lives this conflicted life because she's uh, trying to bury a wound that she didn't cause, and, and here's what we do. We try to resolve things on a personality level. We try to be someone else or act like someone else or shift something in our personality thinking, this is going to fix this, and what we need is on a soul level. And the soul is deeper than the personality. 
And you're not going to make a shift in your personality and become someone you're not and resolve an issue of the soul. If, if, if that example makes sense. Now, I have good news for all of you barriers today. <laughs> uh, look, that's one example. It, it, this, this doesn't just play out in females' lives, and it doesn't just play out in sanguine female lives. Every personality type in both genders have examples we could go through all morning. That's just one. But I have good news for all you barriers. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God can give you the strength and the power that you need to forgive what has been done to you on a soul level, and He can give you the strength to face and find healing and freedom from anything that's happened to you in your past. Whether you caused it or you didn't cause it. God can free you. So, you're not going to resolve your past in your soul by burying it. You, what you'll probably do is fracture your personality. Number two, we beat ourselves up. King David did it. After being a failure as a father and a husband and a king and a man of God, I want you to listen from the message translation in Psalm 38, what he says. He says, I, I, I'm swamped by my bad behavior, collapsed under gunny sacks of guilt. The cuts in my flesh stink and grow maggots because I've lived so badly. Aren't you glad you're not in second service? Lunch isn't soon. And now I'm flat on my face, feeling sorry for myself morning to night. All my insides are on fire. My body is a wreck. I'm on my last leg. I've had it. My life is a vomit of groans. There's something inside most of us, when we do something wrong, we either want to punish ourselves, or we want to accept every painful thing that happens to us in our life as punishment on us. Like, like I'm getting what I deserve. And actually psychologists tell us this is one place that panic attacks come from. It's the fear that I've gone too far, I've crossed the line, and, and here it comes. It's all about to catch up with me. And that's where a lot of chronic fear comes from. Beating ourselves up for things that we did wrong or things that we think is our fault is not the answer. Beating ourselves up is trying to, again, solve a deep soul problem on a shallow emotional level. And, and, it, and it never works. Number three, last one. Blame someone else. You know, it's, it's amazing how easily we believe that finding someone else to blame will somehow fix what's inside of us. I, I remember uh, when our kids were younger and I would be a, um, a camp staff person at uh, kids camp. I, I knew it was going to happen, and I, if I'm honest, I actually look forward to it after my first year because it's always so amusing. We, we're in the boys' cabin, and there's all these little, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old boys, and there's going to come a moment that two or three or four or ten, I don't know of them, are going to come to you and say, hey, hey, and they're breathing heavy, and they're out of breath, because they've been running, because they're paying. They said, hey, I, 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 I had $5 and I lost. Somebody stole my money. Are you sure somebody stole it? Because I don't think we have any thieves in our cabin that I know. Oh, no, 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 no. No, somebody stole it. I'm certain of it. How do you know? Because it's gone. Okay. Well, where was it the last time that you saw it? It was under my pillow. Have you checked there? No. 
but I know it's been stolen. You're sure of this? I'm sure of it. Why don't we go look? We'll go look. See, it's gone. Gone. I'm telling you, stolen. Let's go to the camp later right now. Hang them. High noon. So, well, do you think we should look around the bed on the floor first? Okay, but it's not there because I know it's been stolen. You know, and then you push the bunk back from the wall a little bit. Well, there's $5 right there. What do you think the chances are that that's yours? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. I think mine's stolen. I think somebody put that there. It's a setup. <laughs> and you say, okay, all right. You know, where, my shoes have been stolen. Have you checked your suitcase? No, but I know they're stolen. Well, you open the thing, and there they are, you know. It, it, somehow it's human nature, you know, for us to blame other people. We learn it as toddlers, but we don't naturally outgrow it. You know, fast food restaurants make us fat. Tobacco companies give us cancer. The teacher gave me bad grades. The government cheated me. The devil made me do it. But are we really any better off because we keep pushing the blame for what's going on in our life out on somebody else? Scrooge had a blame problem. Remember, his own personal misery was never his fault. It was the children on the street. It was the Christmas merrymakers. It was Cratchit. And it was his childhood poverty. It was his fiance Belle, remember, who abandoned him 40 years earlier. Of course, their breakup wasn't his fault. He blamed it all on her. Do you remember this? Every bit of it. It was Belle's fault. <laughs> she was being unreasonable. Mr. Charles Dickens did not know the half of it. He was being unfair in his portrayal of me in this matter. Well, look, everybody, this is Scrooge, but only a little bit younger this year. I don't know if you noticed. Listen, I will not allow you to mislead these people. <laughs> Scrooge, but don't you think that uh, Belle said that you chose your love for money over your love for her? Oh, that is humbug. It is the way of the world, sir. There is nothing society is harder on than poverty, and so why should anyone condemn me for trying to seek a way out of it? But Scrooge, nobody's trying to condemn you. All we're trying to say is, is that the wounds of your past are affecting your future. Why should I concern myself with what you think? Bah humbug. Young Scrooge. See, blame never helps Scrooge. And it's never going to help me, and it's never going to help you. What do we do with our wounds and our failures? If we bury them or beat ourselves up or blame, blame someone else, it's going to get worse. It always does. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. If you're a believer this morning, i got good news for you. You're a new person. You are a brand new person. Yes, you are a brand new person. The old is gone, and the new has come. Now you say, then why do I still deal with this, with this problem? Because the battle's not over, but the power to win the battle is now yours. But you have to apply that new life to every part of your life. 
So, so let's wrap up this morning and talk about that. How can you do that? Two things. Number one, receive God's love. This is more powerful than you think. As a follower of Jesus, you have to take this powerful love and you have to apply it to each area of your life. And just when you think, I got it, I got it, I got it, God loves me. You might have it here, and you might have it here, but you don't have it here or here or here yet. So you have to take the parts of your life and break them apart, and you have to apply the love of God to each one of them. And this takes time. It is soul work. So you, so you have to stop trying to earn forgiveness from God, and if you think you have to earn it, before long you'll find yourself making others around you trying to earn it too. But that's not God's forgiveness. That's religion. Remember what we read earlier. Let's settle the matter. It's paid for. Receive it. And stop trying to for. You ever hear somebody say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to forgive myself. Or, or they say something like this. I know God forgave me. Now, I have to forgive myself. Or, I know God forgave me. I can't forgive myself. I could never forgive myself. Have you, ever heard, have you ever heard that phrase? I used to be one of those people. I used to be one of those people that would say that. I know that theology. I know that thinking. I know that mentality. I know that philosophy. I know that God has forgiven me because he's, He's good. He's incredible. Of course he forgives me. Everything we've heard about, but I can't forgive myself. And let me tell you the problem with that since I know it so well. The problem with that is pride. Like you have some kind of higher moral standard than God does. You don't. And you're not a better judge of what's right and wrong than what God is. And you're not a better judge of when you should be forgiven and when you shouldn't be forgiven than God is. So if God has forgiven you, his judgments are perfect. Who are you and I to question him with our own standards that have to be worse than his, have to be worse off, less accurate, less truthful, less honest? And so if God has forgiven you, then our role is to receive it, accept it, and receive it. And believe that the power of forgiveness can work through every part of our life. Listen to Micah chapter 7, 18 and 19 in the message. Where is the God who can compare with you? Wiping the slate clean of guilt, turning a blind eye, a deaf ear to the past sins of your purged and precious people. You don't nurse your anger and don't stay angry long for mercy is your specialty. That's what you love most, and compassion is on its way to us. You'll stamp out our wrongdoing. You'll sink our sins to the bottom of the ocean. The old you and the old past is gone, and your new reality is here. And the way that you overcome it is not by trying to fix it on a personality or an emotional level, but you fix it on a soul level by taking the love of God that he's freely given you, receive it freely, and apply it to that wounded part of your soul. Would, would, you, would, you, would you practice that with you this morning? Would you, just, would you just say, 
Will you just repeat these words after me? Lord, today, I receive your love. Now, for some of you, that was natural. But for some of you, that felt a little weird, a little different. You know why? Might be because you don't think you deserve it. You're not used to it. Here's the other one. Number two, reject the lies. I said that you have to apply God's love to every part of your life. You also have to apply God's truth to every part of your life. Because life has told us lies, experiences has told us lies, pain has told us lies, wounds has told us, has told us lies. And we have accepted them because that's the way that life was. But as a new, a new creation, we learn truth. We come to understand the greater reality of the world. Just because you accept God's forgiveness does not mean that the ghost of the past won't come and try to change your mind. It's a lie to say, you know, you're going to become so healed you won't even remember your past. If your past is painful enough, you will probably always remember it. But it doesn't have to always hurt. It doesn't have to always hurt. It is a reality. It did happen. But every time you remember it, you remind yourself, I am forgiven. I receive forgiveness again today for this. Or I forgive again the person who did this thing. You say that I forgive today. I let go. I release. This person doesn't owe me anything. I give up anything that they owe me. You know, this week, uh, our nation experienced a great loss, President George H.W. Bush. At his funeral, uh, we, we learned a few things about him that I didn't know. During World War II, the plane he'd been piloting was shot down over enemy waters, and he and three of his crew had been forced out into the water. And when he parachuted down, um, he had a gash on his head that left him unconscious and floating in the ocean. And uh, almost accidentally... Uh, he was in enemy water. An American submarine found him and picked him up. His three crew members were never found. And um, he, he, he was devastated by that loss. And that thought had haunted him for years. And he felt responsible. He felt like he had somehow failed as a leader. But then through prayer, as we heard the story, he realized that God had spared his life for a reason. Little did he know he would ever be president. And he always lamented the loss of that crew. But he made sure that he found the reason that God had left him on earth. And that was to make a difference. You know, Paul the Apostle basically had the same kind of feelings. He used to persecute and chase and harass and kill Christians. But he, he never forgot what God's forgiveness could do in his life. In 1 Timothy, uh, near the end of his life, he wrote a letter to his uh, the young person, his apprentice. And in the letter, he kind of unpacks this. Here's what he says, 1 Timothy 1.15. Here's a trustworthy saying. I, I love that phrase. Isn't that unique? Four times Paul says that. Hey, you can count on this. Build your house on this foundation. Hang your hat on this. This is trustworthy. I've lived a long time. I've been shipwrecked and beaten and imprisoned and this and that and the other 
And there's a few things I've learned you can count on. And Timothy, I'm about to give you one of them. Here it is. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. I like that. Full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His immense patience as an example for those who would believe in Him and receive eternal life. You see that phrase, uh, full acceptance? Do you know what that means? That means that you are forgiven even if you still remember it. His forgiveness is not subject to your memory. Testing your forgiveness based on whether you remember it or don't remember it is not the right test. Test it on whether Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. If that's true, you're forgiven. If that's true, you can be free. You know, this Christmas, the reality is that a lot of us are going to face or remember or maybe, or maybe face presently significant hurts and wounds. and Those things seem to kind of come up during the holidays, don't they? Some of you might have been betrayed or rejected or lied to. Maybe somebody let you down. Life's not making a whole lot of sense in your circumstances somewhere. And there are those of you who have families that are divided and you're going to be wading into that division. You go into uh, maybe a dysfunctional extended family or a nuclear family. Maybe you're a young person and, you know, our church is kind of your family. And uh, the way you'll celebrate with your own family is really broken and I, I understand that I've lived that life before the circumstances here's what I want you to hear if you're in a present difficulty the circumstances may not change they may not be different but you can be different in them and you can face them differently through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the love of God and the truth of Jesus Christ. This is a trustworthy saying. You can hang your hat on it. So today, um, I want to ask you if you'd stand with me. And this morning, I, I want us just to sing um, that worship song that we sang a few minutes ago again. We're, we're done early. We're going to sing and pray, and we're still going to be done early. So, unless you just have to go, would you stay with us? And would you just, um, would you just sing this worship song? Here's what I want you to think about as we're singing. If some of the things we talked about in the past this morning touched a little close to home, if some of those thoughts sort of touched a painful area maybe you haven't thought about in a long time, as we stand and sing and worship, would you just say, Lord, I, I give that pain to you. God, I give that pain to you again. Or, or I give my failure to you. Or I give my wound to you. Or Lord, I, I ask you to come in and heal that part of me that I've buried or I've hidden or I've blamed other people for. Lord, Lord, today I receive your love. 
God, bring the truth to me as I meet you in this moment. And can I tell you, the power of the Holy Spirit will meet you where you are and begin to heal your soul. Come on and let's pray and begin to worship. Lord, thank you today. Come on, turn, turn your attention to Him. Lord, thank you today for the grace of Jesus Christ that makes all things new. I thank you for your presence in this room. And as we gather together to worship you today, may your presence fill this song and fill this place.